Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. I, as always, am your host, Squabbins here, one of my writers, Katie. In this case, thank you, Katie, has written me a script, The Curse of the Hope Diamonds. Is this the diamond that they mailed? Like, they discovered it. <laughs> discovered it. I stole it. Uh, again, like, my knowledge of this is pretty limited. Did they, like, did some, like, British dude or whatever find this in Africa? And then it was like, it's a pretty big diamond. How are we going to get it back to the UK and put it in a big... Wait, is this the one that goes in the crown? <laughs> Anyway, it doesn't matter. And he's like, yeah, well, we have to have a giant security operation and all of that. And in the end, he was like, no, let's just put it in the post. And he just posted it back without insurance or whatever, because he's like, no one's going to think it's valuable. We'll just hide it in the post. I'm not sure if that's that. Uh, look, I don't know anything. We're here to learn something together. So let's just jump in, shall we? Sixteen sixty-six was a pretty bad year. Not only does it contain the number of the beast, it was also the year of the Great Fire of London. The bubonic plague had popped up again, and over a thousand people were killed when a hurricane plowed through a group of Caribbean islands. It's a pretty bad year. Like hurricanes happen all the time, but the bubonic plague, the Great Fire of London, these are these are big events. Although a thousand people being killed by a hurricane, I guess is bad. I don't want to diminish the thousand people who died in a hurricane. What better time then than for a cursed diamond to start hitting the scene and spreading bad? Bad luck and misery and death all that came into contact with it. Q Simon say, well it did it because curses aren't real. Okay, well it did it because curses aren't real. <laughs> but let's see if we can make a believer out of him by the end of this episode, or at least I'll have a bit of fun trying. Um even if it was like, okay, anyone who touched the diamond died exactly 20 minutes afterwards, I'd be like, it's not a curse. There's something wrong with the diamonds. The diamond is poisonous. Or even if there's a, there's a huge string of bad luck, it's just a huge string of bad luck. It's all a big coincidence because curses are not real. Let's carry on. Curses are real. That's the title of the next part. And it's not true. Katie. You might have heard of this famous gemstone, or maybe you haven't, I won't judge. I was aware of the name, but I didn't know anything about it prior to researching this story. Let's see if I got it correct. I feel like it is the one in... It, or maybe that's the Koinor. Is the Koinor diamonds in the Queen's or the King's now? Giant Pimpat? I don't know. Let's find out. I also feel like that was dug up later, like 1666 seems really early. My history is quite bad sometimes, I realise. <laughs> It's nowhere near the biggest diamond ever found, but it is the largest example of a blue diamond in the world. It has also long been associated with death, financial ruin, madness, and other sorts of bad luck, all the way from when it left its Indian birthplace to where it currently resides in Washington, D.C. Okay, so it's not the one in the king's hat. If you've seen Titanic, the heart of the ocean necklace worn by Kate Winslet's character is based on the Hope Diamond, and we all know what happened to the Titanic, don't we? So let's find out a little bit about the diamond itself before we set off through its cursed history. This is one of those things, like, I don't believe in curses so strongly that if someone was like, do you want the Hope, Hope Diamond? It's pretty cursed. And I'd be like, how much is it worth? And they'd be like, oh, millions. Billions? How much do you think this thing's worth? It's not that big, but it's pretty faint. Look, if it's a diamond you've heard of, it's going to be worth at least, what? 10 million? 20 million? Something like that? That's where I'm vibing right now. I guess we'll find out. But I'll be like, yes, obviously I want it. And then I'll sell it immediately. And then I guess I'd be subject to some curse that isn't real. It has a long and checkered past, but we can trace its origins fairly reliably back to the Kalur mines of India in the 17th century. I guess if we can trace its location to the Kalur mines, we, we can confidently say that it's been there for at least a billion years. Diamonds take a long time to form, yo. Yeah, they do. They do. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're quite rare. Well, they're not as rare as you think, right? Because the De Beers Company 
De Beers, right? Who control the, the big diamond supplies and stuff. So there's a, like artificial scarcity of diamonds so they can make them really expensive and then lie to people about how much money they have to spend on a diamond engagement ring. Don't they say like a month salary or two months salary or something? It's actually insane. If you're doing that, you're an idiot. And if your wife expects, or if your wife-to-be expects that, well, then you're both idiots, aren't you? I'm going to tell the legends, I mean, okay, well, even if you're rich, then it's just more money, isn't it? So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I'm going to tell you the legend of the Hope Diamond now, complete with all the juicy curse bits. However, warning, take some of it with a pinch of salt. We'll decode some of the stories at the end, but for now, here is the tale with the good bits attached. The Hope Diamond is actually a piece of a much larger diamond that was bought by French gem merchant Jean-Baptiste Varnier in around 1666. I say bought, but he could also have stolen it, and in the most pulpy versions of the diamond's origin, he pried it out of a Hindu statue's eye socket. Oh my. <laughs> Sorry. We Europeans are such pieces of shit, weren't we? We'll just go to India. Ah, that's nice. <laughs> I'll take that. Side note, I learned the poem by J. Milton Hayes about something similar, but it was called The Green Eye of the Yellow God, not the Blue Eye, so it was just a coincidence. The guy who popped out a gem in the poem didn't fare too well, ending up stabbed to death in bed. I remember my granny got me and my sister to learn the poem one day and paid us something like 25p each for every verse we memorised. Okay. It's a really important poem. I've never heard of it. We thought this was a great way of scamming money off an old lady at the time, but as I got older I realised it was a very canny way for our granny to exercise our brains and keep us out of her hair for an afternoon, all for the cost of a couple of quid. And yes, I still remember the whole thing today. It is interesting, right? I don't want to get into that, like, bribing your kids thing, but it's interesting how much more they value money than I do, because it's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll give you a pound or whatever. And they'll be like, I can get an ice cream for that. And I'm like, a pound's not exactly a lot of money to me. So I'm like, sure, sure, you can have that if you're good. And then they're good for two hours. And I'm like, I bought two hours of goodness for a pound? And I don't do this, but I can see why it's very tempting to do that. <laughs> Although, I'm not really sure why you shouldn't do that. Because people say, well, you want your kids to be intrinsically motivated and stuff like that. And I'm like, does that really matter that much? Because, yo, most people are going to go and work a job. And their boss is like, hey, do the work. And people are like, okay. <laughs> it's not like you're like... And they're literally motivating you the same way that Katie's granny's in in motivating her. They're giving you money to do a job. It's called work. <laughs> it's literally how the world works. So why is that not okay? Or maybe it is okay. I'm not sure. Enough about parenting. This is not why you're here. Although judging from the comments and how like how much people love hearing about my kids, I was like, okay, maybe that is why you're here. In which case, that's nice. And it warms my heart a little bit. My heart is still very cold. Anyway, Tavarnier was entranced by the colour of the diamonds that he had, which he described as a beautiful violet. I guess violet means blue in the diamond world because it's always known as a blue diamond, not a purple or a violet one. He gets the colouring from small amounts of boron, and this blue diamond Tavarnier got was actually astoundingly large, as usually blue diamonds aren't very big at all. The original stone was over 112 carats. Oh my lord. Meaning it weighed about 22 grams, or according to one of my favourite websites the measure of things it was about one tenth as heavy as a hamster okay thank you 22 grams 122 grams is a hundred and because a carrot is a that's a that's quite a large diamond that's a good sized diamond and 122 is massive 112 sorry is massive 22 grams doesn't feel like very much does it 
It also glows red under ultraviolet light, perhaps adding to its spooky reputation, although it's unlikely that most of the owners would have ever seen this happening. Originally, the stone was named the Tavarnier Blue for obvious reasons, and a couple of years later, Tavarnier sold it, along with a few other diamonds, to King Louis XIV, the Louis who's also known as the Sun King. I say a few other diamonds, but some sources say that the Tavarnier Blue is about one of a thousand diamonds that the king bought from Jean-Baptiste Tavarnier at the time. How the other half live, eh? Yeah, what was the one? I made a video about the Sultan of Brunei. This dude, and he's got like a thousand cars. He's got like 17 Bugattis or whatever. And I'm just like, I was just reading the whole video and it just felt sad. Because when you're like born into like such wealth or whatever, I feel like it just felt like this dude's just trying to fill this hole. And maybe he's not, and maybe he's a really nice dude and he's like super satisfied with all of his purchases and stuff. But I'm like, it feels like you're just playing The Sims, but you're using the Rosebud cheat. It doesn't feel as satisfying as when your Sims go off to work and become president and earn lots of money. Then it's like, oh, that's cool. It's cool. Like, I feel I get quite a lot of satisfaction from my purchases, but I'd get a lot less satisfaction if I hadn't earned the money in the first place. Right? And then, the, I don't know, like, Sun King or whatever. He seemed just like a party dude. He's a bit of a legend, to be honest. But I just feel like... At that level of like wealth and inheritance and you know kingdom kingdom it's just a bit pointless isn't it it just feels like aren't you just you're just trying to fill an empty hole in your soul or maybe i'm just jealous <laughs> who knows let's carry on so was Tavarnier the man who introduced the hope diamond to the world struck down by a curse if you believe one version of events he died shortly after of a horrible fever and was then pulled apart by a pack of wild dogs fucking hell okay what just the wild dogs appeared so yeah, not a fun way to go. Well, I mean, dying of a fever's not fun, but you're already dead by the time the wild dogs are, like, ripping you apart. I mean, I'd just be glad that I was dead from the fever first, because being ripped apart alive by a pack of wild dogs would be fairly, fairly unpleasant. It's now the year 1668, and the blue diamond is firmly ensconced in the bosom of the French royal family. Here it was fiddled about with by royal jewellers and cut into more than one piece, the largest of which is now called the King's Jewel or the French Blue. But this name was in French, obviously. <laughs> what is the blue? Is blue bleu? Sacre bleu. I don't know what sacre bleu actually means, though, so maybe that's not blue. God, I did use that. I learned French at school. I got a C in my GCSEs in French. <laughs> Uh, language is not my thing. Uh, doesn't matter. Let's carry on. Uh, Louis originally had it set on a golden stick, and he had a series of shallow cuts made into the back so his trademark sun symbol could be seen when the light shone through it. Later, it was set into gold and hung on a ribbon so that he could wear it for fancy occasions. So, how did the curse affect King Louis XIV? Well, he had quite a lot of disgusting health issues later in life, including dental abscesses, gout, boils, and an anal fistula. Before, I'm not even sure what anal fistula is, but it doesn't sound pleasant. Before eventually dying from... I feel like anal fistula is one of those things that's like, I have no idea what it is but by the time i'm 60 i'm gonna know it very well it's like one of those like butt diseases <laughs> i feel like the older you get the more can go wrong with your butt and the more they have to examine your butt and they have to look at your insides through your butt and it's like oh god there's gonna be so much butt stuff when i get older why later it was set in <laughs> just thinking about having to go to the doctor like normally when you go for your medical it's like the most that they're gonna do is poke around with my balls <laughs> They're not putting a finger in my butt yet, but I know it's coming. I know one year I'm going to go back at whatever age, at whatever age it is. Is it 40? Are they going to be like, all right. They're going to be like, how does this work? I just turned 40. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
It's my birthday on Monday. Four years to go until I'm 40, which is kind of alarming. Also, while he had numerous illegitimate children throughout his life, only one of the six children he had with his wife, Maria Theresa, survived into adulthood. It has also been posited by some historians that while Louis XIV's reign was fairly stable, his failure to reform institutions that could have kept the monarchy secure in the future sowed the seeds for the revolution. Speaking of the French Revolution, where's that pesky diamond at now? Well, hang on. So it's like, oh, Louis XIV, yeah, he did some king stuff, he had some bad luck, he got gout and anal pissy. Of course he did, because he probably just had a diet of, like, pure gluttony. Because he's called the Sun King and he loved partying. And all of his kids died? Yeah, because it was the past. Everyone's kids died. The French Blue stayed in the royal family until 1791 when the government took possession of the royal jewels during the aforementioned revolution. It was now part of a larger pendant designed for the Catholic Order of Chivalry, the Distinguished Order of the Golden Fleece. Wait, isn't that some Jason and the Argonauts shit? Wasn't there a Golden Fleece with Jason and the Argonauts? I don't know what Jason... Uh, literally, I'm not even sure. Is Jason and the Argonauts a uh, myth? Is it, like, in the Bible? I literally don't know. And I'm fairly sure I saw the play Jason and the Argonauts at some point, which is quite alarming, really, isn't it? That meant that... That meant that... It, maybe it's just a play! Maybe it's just a play. Maybe it's like Phantom of the Opera. I've just got no idea. Why do I admit these things? It's embarrassing. This meant that as well as having a large-ass blue diamond on the pendant, there was also a load of other small diamonds on it, including 112 diamonds that were painted yellow and arranged looked like the fleece of a sheep. Wait, so he, he, he added diamonds to his diamonds? He's like the pimp my ride of icing out things. If that doesn't sound gaudy enough, <laughs> oh, it does. There was also a large red dragon made of a mineral called spinel, which I've never heard of, breathing out red-painted diamond flames above and around the French blue. Who says money can't buy taste? It's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? And it's like, you're king. We already know you're rich. You don't need to show off. It's not necessary. Well, oddly enough, this piece didn't get much wear, but it was now in the position of Louis XVI and his wife, Marie Antoinette. Uh-oh. They got cursed. Well, except they didn't. There was a revolution and they got killed. It's not the diamond, it's just history. She was well known for her love of jewels, but as we all know, this particular owner of the French Blue came to a sticky and premature end, as did her husband, the last king of France, when they were both beheaded as the monarchy was overthrown. So where does the cursed gem go next? The French Blue Diamond was being kept in a storehouse, along with a lot of other valuable items left over from the royal family, but in 1792, the year following the executions, the storehouse was broken into and looted, with the French Blue disappearing for several years. Thanks to modern-day CAD technology, Computer-aided design? CAD? Turbo CAD? Remember this from back in the day? I remember messing around with this. Like, you remember when magazines used to, like, you'd get a PC magazine, it would come with a CD with loads of, like, trial programs on it. And I just remember there was a CAD program on there. For some reason, I was playing around with that as an 11-year-old rather than playing video games. It's apparently I'm incredibly sad. Uh, it has been confirmed that the blue diamond popped up in London in 1812 was indeed part of the original Tav Ta Tavernia blue, albeit having been recut yet again, this time down to the 45 carats that it is today. Okay, so, oh, I see. So they use, they can, they can, like, scan these pieces of diamond in to the computer and then match them up like puzzle pieces. That's pretty cool, to be honest. For reference, that's about 120th the weight of a hamster or 135th as heavy as a human heart. <laughs> ah, yes. The reference of the human heart. A weight I know so well after removing my enemies' hearts and holding them in my hands as they still beat and I show them to their eyes. I mean, obviously it's their eyes. I, just, I was trying to come up with a cool, like, dramatic thing that didn't really work out. It didn't do dim. 
It's presumed that the new style the diamond was sporting was to avoid it being recognized as it moved through some probably quite shady channels. Also, 1812 is exactly 20 years after the diamond went missing from France, meaning that the statute of limitations over the theft had just run out. How fortuitous. What? It did? It was now, you gotta be like, you stole that and then you just sing over 20 years. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. And then you're like, I, I stole it. I stole it. And now it's for sale. But can't someone sue you and be like, yeah, that's my diamond, I want it back. I know you can't be tried for the crime, but it's still my diamond. No? It was now in possession of Daniel Eliasson, a diamond merchant who probably sold it to King George IV at some point, although there is no official paperwork about this that has been found. It seems that Eliasson must have escaped the curse, as I couldn't find out much about him, apart from that he may or may not have killed himself, so maybe he didn't escape it after all. Maybe, maybe his curse was to be forgotten about. Maybe that's where his curse was. I don't know, while we're making things up, we may as well make that up. In 1816, the diamond was valued at £30,000, which is £2.3 million today, or $2.9 million. Bit of a steal, really. George IV was a lavish spender. He was? He was a king and he spent lots of money? Wow, that's new. What a unique guy. And while he was still Prince Regent, I don't know what Prince Regent is. I, I just feel like I'm just, for some reason, I'm just reading the scripts and I'm just admitting to anything I don't know. It's probably quite boring and makes me look stupid, but I'm just, it's just that vibe today, I guess. Does Prince Regent mean you're about to become king? Wasn't it, isn't a regency where you manage the king's affairs for the king, even though you're not really the king? Like, if the king's eight or something, then he has a regent who rules for him, like his mum or whatever, until he becomes of age. Okay, so that kind of makes sense. Maybe so, maybe he was a kid king. He had burned through what would now be tens of millions of pounds by the age of 25. When he eventually became king, he only ruled for about 10 years, during which time he was probably in possession of the French blue. He apparently liked to mix up his personal property with the royal jewels, which must have been a nightmare for anyone in charge of looking after them, and he might have bought the French blue for his personal collection. George IV was known for his huge appetites, both metaphorical and literal. What, a king with a huge appetite? No. And was also a great fan of laudanum, which is a highly addictive opiate. When I say a great fan, I mean he was addicted to it and consumed huge amounts daily. By the time of his death, his weight was around 280 pounds or 130 kilos, which is approximately 650 hamsters. That's, uh, that's a large man. He had all kinds of health problems, although none as gross-sounding as Louis XIV's and his anal fistula. <laughs> ah! During his autopsy, it was found that he had a huge tumour on his bladder and his heart was totally stodged up, but what actually killed him was a ruptured blood vessel in his stomach. That's tummy to you, Simon. Wait, I know what a stomach is. Why are you saying tummy? Do you just... I know what a stomach is, Katie. When George the Fourth, <laughs> I'm not that dumb. When George the Fourth died, he was also in bad shape financially, and he let, left a heck of a lot, a lot of debt behind. It has been theorized that the blue diamond was discreetly sold on again to someone in the Hope family, either the rich London banker Thomas Hope, or more likely his brother, the gem connoisseur Henry Philip Hope. You might have noted that their last name was Hope. Yes, finally, this is where the Hope diamond got its name. There is a reference to it in a gem catalogue, published just after Henry Philip Hope died in 1839, listing all the valuable jewels he owns, but it didn't say when he got the diamonds, who he got it from, or how much he paid for it. The diamond was now set into a medallion, and commonly known as the Hope Diamond or Hope's Diamond, though Henry personally referred to it as Diamond Number One. <laughs> okay, creative guy. There also doesn't seem to be much in the way of bad luck for Henry Philip Hope, but he died without a direct heir, so the diamond went to a nephew, and by 1901 it was owned by Lord Francis Thomas Hope. He was also terrible with money, as were so many previous owners, and he had to get permission to sell the diamond because he went bankrupt and his wife also had left him. The cursed diamond next exercised its powers on American jewellery firm Joseph Frankel's Sons & Co. 
Simon Frankel bought the Hope Diamond from a dealer and took it over the Atlantic to New York. It seems he massively overpaid those, as he apparently bought it for $250,000, which is $9 million today. Good lord. According to some sources, Lord Francis Hope had sold it to a dealer for just $29,000, which would be the equivalent of just over a million dollars today. Wait, this guy is a jeweler. Jeweler? 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 Jeweler. And he runs a jewelry firm. And he paid nearly ten times too much for a diamond. What is he up to? Somebody did very well out of this supposed bad luck diamond, though, and his name was Adolf Waal. Well done, sir. When Frankel reached the stage, the valuations he got of the Hope Diamond were way below what it paid for it, so it stayed in the vault until the markets improved. The markets didn't really improve, though, with Frankel's company almost biting the dust during the financial panic of 1907. Wow, so he went from having... He had, he had enough money to spend $9 million on a diamond in modern money, though. So he was running up. Big company at that point. Luckily for them, they managed to offload what they referred to as the Hoodoo Diamond onto a poor sap called Salim Habib in 1908. He may or may not have bought it on behalf of the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, but either way, he took a complete bath on it, having bought it for the equivalent of about $12 million and selling it the next year in Paris for barely a sixth of what he paid for it. Okay, so the original dude who paid too much, he got away with it really, didn't he? As well as losing a lot of money thanks to the Hope Diamond, Salim Habib also lost his life when he went down in a shipwreck later that year in 1909. After passing through, another dealer, the Hope Diamond, eventually lands with famous jeweler Pierre Cartier, who stumped up around $106,000, which is $3.4 million, million today. I think I did those calculations right. I got a bit confused as I saw he paid around 550,000 francs for it, but I'm pretty sure that's the right ballpark. He had an absolutely excellent client in mind on whom to palm off this cursed jewel, Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean. <laughs> Just like everyone's just trying to like buy at the lesson, rip someone off like hard. And then that person who got ripped off hard is trying to rip off the next person or is like a sultan and doesn't care. It's pretty crazy. She came from a filthy rich family, her father having found a literal gold mine when she was 11 or 12. They weren't from a wealthy background originally though, which might explain why they went a bit over the top with the dosh and bought a huge mansion already complete with all the fittings and furnishings that they thought something like that should have, as opposed to what they actually liked themselves or wanted to put in it. Evelyn used to go to school in a coach pulled by matching horses, and the family dined off golden plates. They also threw incredible parties with royalty from all over the world turning up. According to the website WashingtonChronicles.com, one of the Walsh's dinner parties was said to have cost $200 a plate. The great room in which it was served had been converted into a flower garden with flowers sent from Florida and fruit from California by Special Express. An orchestra played operatic selections from behind a lattice of American Beauty roses. Hanging from the ceiling and suspended just above the dining room table was a great flower balloon lit with electric lights. At the end of the dinner, the balloon swung open and a shower of songbirds greeted the guests with a rhapsody of melody. Blimey. <laughs> I have to say though. Sounds like a pretty fun party, doesn't it? Evelyn Walsh married Edward Beale McLean, also known as Ned, who was the heir to a newspaper publishing fortune. They were so rich that when their first child was born, he was referred to as the $100 million baby. And that was over 100 years ago, which is a lot more money today. As with several other previous owners of the Hope Diamond, the McLeans were really, really crap with money. They had more than anyone could conceivably need for many lifetimes, yet they squandered it left, right, and center. I mean, I get it like oh yeah they spent all their money and all of this stuff well what are you saving it for after you're dead and it's like oh you like i don't know shouldn't you enjoy that like i'm all for like now save some money but by the time I'm, i die i don't want to die super rich because then it's like all the money i earned is kind of pointless isn't it like why why did i do this it's like i, I, I want my kids to to make their own way i don't want them to just like have money that they get from me that feels a bit like 
Well, that's not going to be very motivating for them, is it? But also, don't, don't, don't spend it all and die in poverty. That would be an error. <laughs> Cartier tempted Evelyn into buying the Hope Diamond from him, but it took two nearly two years and a change of setting that held the jewel before she finally agreed. The McLeans paid $154,000 in 1911, which is roughly $5 million today. I think Evelyn must have been a proponent of the phrase, if you've got it, flaunt it, as the Hope Diamond was eventually reset again and put on a necklace which she wore a lot. I mean, I like... <laughs> It's like, I feel like someone else, like a king or whatever, would just buy that. It would sit in some vault, which no one would ever see. And this woman's like, yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna wear a $5 million diamond. Like, why the fuck not? I'm gangster. And yeah, I mean, she's probably gonna get robbed, but whatever. Take a look at Google Images, and in the majority of photos of her, she's got the Hope Diamond necklace on. Instead of keeping a valuable jewel somewhere safe, she would hide it all around the house during house parties for people to try and find. She wore it in the pool and even let her Great Dane walk around with it attached to his collar. If this was a TV show, there is a 100% chance that the dog would have swallowed that diamond at some point, but as far as I can see, there is no evidence that this happened in real life. But the curse of the Hope Diamond struck again with vengeance. Evelyn was aware of the history of the diamond and had even had it blessed to try and counteract the bad luck, but seemed to see it both as a talisman of good and evil depending on what was happening around her at the time this is so stupid it's like oh yeah it's the diamond why because this good thing happened to me oh yeah it's the diamond why because this bad thing happened to me so it's just responsible for everything this magical diamond stupid she never let her friends or children touch it, apparently, but I guess her dog was a different matter. Anyway, here is some bad stuff that happened during the McLean's tenure of the Hope Diamonds. Evelyn's mother-in-law, who warned her against purchasing the cursed rock, died within the year. Well, why would she die? She's the one who like was like, don't buy that. Don't buy that. Um, their firstborn son, the $100 million baby, was killed in an accident after being hit by a car when he was only nine. Evelyn became addicted to morphine. She filed for divorce in 1929, but due to her husband's alcoholism, infidelities, and increasingly erratic behavior, she had him declared insane instead, and he was hospitalized until his death in 1941. In 1932, Evelyn remortgaged a property and lost over $100,000 when she gave the money to a dirty ex-FBI agent as a ransom for the kidnapped Lindbergh baby. That's nearly $2 million today. In 1946, Evelyn discovered her 24-year-old daughter dead from an overdose of sleeping pills. I mean, yes, this is all very unfortunate and all of that stuff, but it's also... Yeah, how long did she have this diamond? 1946? Um, there's at least... There's nearly 20 years there. So, yeah, bad shit's gonna happen to you over 20 years. That's just how life is. There's also plenty of good shit that probably happened to her. She probably had really nice parties. She had those songbirds flying from a chandelier. By this point, Evelyn hardly had any money left as she and Ned had burned through it during their marriage together and he bequeathed anything he had left to his new partner. She pawned the Hope Diamonds more than once to get some cash but always managed to buy it back. It's pretty hilarious and baffling as an outsider looking in on the uber-rich and their money issues. According to Evelyn's friend Alice Roosevelt, yes, that would be the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th President of the United States, Evelyn turned up to see her one day, distraught with trying to work out her new budget. Alice, what will I do? She cried. I simply can't get my budget below $250,000 a year. Flowers, $40,000. Household, $100,000. Travel, $35,000. No one seemed to seem unsupportive, but obviously heavily laced with sarcasm, Alice replied, You are quite right. You simply can't shave it one cent. It's all relative. I, it's not relative, though, is it? Because I'm like, yeah, well, of course, like, rich people have, like, they also think about money and stuff. But it's, it's not the same. Because it's like, you're not going to be hungry, are you? $35,000 a year on travel. That seems insane even in today's money. 
Anyway, Evelyn still owns the Hope Diamond when she died in 1947. Even though there was a clause in her will stipulating that the diamond had to remain in the family for a certain period of time, her estate was in such bad shape that the heirs were allowed to sell it, which they swiftly did to the famous King of Diamonds, Harry Winston, who bought it in 1949 as part of Evelyn Walsh McLean's entire jewelry collection. Winston displayed the Hope Diamond in various exhibitions around North America and kept hold of it until 1958 when he donated it to become part of the United States Gem Collection at the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of Natural history so how do you think he transported the diamond to its new home oh is this the bit i spoiled in the beginning so it was going from america to london wait did i, I i'm sorry i was not paying attention oh okay so he's just transporting it across the united states sorry a coach and matched horses and a teenage devlin walsh in a titanium briefcase handcuffed to a buff secret service agent I don't think they, when was titanium invented? I don't think they had it back in the, like, these times. No, he did a very clever or possibly very foolish thing and sent it through the mail in a brown envelope. The Smithsonian Institute is so famous that he hardly even put any address in it. It just says Smithsonian Institute, Washington, D.C. Attention, Dr. Leonard Carmichael, which I suppose is all you really need. It cost him $145 to insure it for a million bucks and he had to pay $2.44 in postage. The insurance would be the equivalent of over $1,500 today, with the postage coming in at $25.50. 37 cents, which is about what I have to pay to send even the tiniest thing overseas these days. Fucking preach. <laughs> mail and shit is super expensive. Rounding out the story of the curse, the mail carrier who delivered the stone, James Todd, had his leg crushed in an accident soon after handing over the diamond. I also saw that he had a car accident later that left him with head injuries and then his house burned down so he did really poorly out of it. Yeah, but he's so tangential. I bet that and there's no mention of anything bad happening to Winston, the dude who sent it to the Smithsonian and bought it from some dead woman's estate. Nothing bad happened to him. But the postal carrier, let's look at everything that went wrong in his life. I guess the Hope Diamond used up the remainder of its bad luck on the poor old postie as it, had sat, as it has sat happily in the Smithsonian ever since, only leaving a handful of times to be featured in various gem exhibitions and Harry Winston events. You can see it today as specimen number 217,868. If you want to know the specifics, the official details are given as cushion antique brilliance with a faceted girdle and extra facets on the pavilion. No idea what any of that means. Nice. Love me some extra facets on the pavilion. Yeah, it's like, what, what are you talking about? The color is fancy dark grayish blue. <laughs> okay. It's still on the chain as per Evelyn McLean's ownership, which is made of 45 white diamonds, and the stone itself is surrounded by a further 16 white diamonds because you can't get enough diamonds, can you, Evelyn? I mean, she could because didn't she run out of money? According to the Gem Agency website, among others, the Hope Diamond is estimated to be worth around $250 million today. Well, that's what it's rumored to be insured for. Rather than being a curse on the Smithsonian, the acquisition of the Hope Diamond meant that other rich people with too much stuff on their hands donated precious stones to the Gem Collection too, including another smaller blue diamond ring called the Blue Heart Diamond, and what are known as the Hooker Diamonds, being a necklace, earrings, and ring which were donated in 1994. Hooker is the surname of the person who donated them, by the way. Ah, uh, the necklace has 50 yellow diamonds in it. I mean, it's all very nice, but if you've got enough money to just give away all this jewelry, like like a Cartier-designed gold necklace with 50 freaking diamonds in it, maybe you should put it to better use. I don't know, it's just a suggestion. This is why I kind of like the woman who wore it. Because these people are like, oh yeah, I got all these gems that are worth an absolute for. Just never wear them. I'm far too rich to wear stuff like that. It's gaudy. And uh, so they just end up in a museum. I kind of respect that woman who wore like a quarter of a billion dollar diamond in today's money <laughs> around her neck. Legend. Anyway, let's have a little decode and see what interesting nuggets and gems we can turn up about this supposed curse. Curses aren't real. 
While the chain of ownership we've outlined is generally agreed to be accurate, there are many, many more names that have been reported to have owned or even merely worn the Hope Diamond and suffered great tragedy because of it. Why didn't I put them in? Well, for one, the list goes on forever and it would just be too boring. A roll call on PBS.org lists 29 names. That's too many for me. Second, these are mostly rumors and throwaway connections that can't be proven. And third, some are just plain rubbish. For instance, I was going to add Nicholas Fourquet into the original list of curses. He was an influential nobleman and super Superintendent of Finances to our friend Louis XIV. Alleged to have worn the French blue, as it was then for a social occasion, he was shortly after arrested by none other than de Artignan and imprisoned for the rest of his life, mainly because the king was worried he was getting too influential and powerful. In this case, though, the diamond had nothing to do with Fouquet's downfall, as he was arrested in 1661, with Louis not receiving the French blue until around 1669. It's unlikely that he would have let Fouquet borrow it for the jail's Christmas party, so I think we can safely say that this example is 100% false. So let's have a quick recap of the verified owners then, and see if any of the legends were true after all. Going all the way back to the man who brought it out of India, did Jean-Baptiste Vernier start the curse by stealing the large blue diamond from the eye of a Hindu goddess? I mean, it's possible, but it's unlikely. Vernier was a seasoned and frequent long-distance traveler and trader in luxury goods, including diamonds. He knew what he was taking, so probably had his pick of stuff at the Indian diamond markets with decent prices, rather than gallivanting around to facing religious statues in a foreign country. I mean, not that people didn't do that. They definitely did. He was extremely wealthy and respected in his time, so he didn't suffer any ill effects from having transported the diamond to France. Louis XIV gave him a lot of gold for the diamond, plus made him a nobleman in the bargain, so it seems he did pretty well out of it. But wait a minute, wasn't he torn apart by wild dogs? Well, I saw this on many websites, although sometimes it says wolves. Sometimes he was killed by them, sometimes he died of a fever and then torn apart when he was dead. But in real life, he lived to the age of 84 and was in Moscow as part of yet another journey when he died. He was, As he was ludicrously wealthy and hobnobbed and traded with all the rich and powerful is to be able to imagine a scenario where he would have been in the proximity of a lot of wild dogs if he really had been murdered by them or had his body torn apart i think there would have been a lot more evidence in the historical record of his life rather than the same one line repeated over and over again across the internet yeah okay it's like he still lived to 84 even if he did die of a fever and then was torn apart by wild dogs it's kind of like yeah but he lived to 84 did he it's not bad for back in the day this is like the 1600s that's really good Louis XIV sure had a share of bad luck, what with all the ailments and children dying, etc. But in reality, this is just part and parcel of life in the 17th century. Exactly! In fact, he had a pretty successful and long life, dying at the age of 76. He was only four years old when his father died, so his technical reign of 72 years and 110 days makes him the longest reigning monarch of all time, whose dates can be verified, which isn't too shabby. It's not too shabby at all. It's just like, what is... <laughs> The curse isn't real. What? It's not? Ah, oh, jeez. The next couple cursed by the diamonds were Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Uh, we know they were executed as the monarchy was overthrown, and we know Marie Antoinette liked the finer things in life, so surely she must have got the diamond out from time to time. Well, no, it was just that horrible dragon fleece medal thing given for orders of chivalry, so it's not something she would have been able to wear even if she wanted to. Obviously, their lives ended horribly, but a monarchy toppling revolution just doesn't just happen overnight, so I think more factors were at play than just having a cursed diamond rolling around in a velvety draw somewhere. The diamond was then stolen from a storehouse and eventually turned up in London a couple of decades later, having also been recut. There was a likelihood that George IV then owned it, dying horribly and in great debt. Well, again, we can't blame the 
diamond on his poor lifestyle choices they existed well before he well before he became the owner of the stone and really what does money matter if you're the king yes he would get into great personal debt but parliament would just give him money to pay it off and then he died with no direct legitimate heirs so well what did he care really his reign was not particularly popular with a piece in the times saying on his death there was never an individual less regretted by his fellow creatures than this deceased king fucking savage so anyway poor diet too much alcohol addicted to laudanum yes died because he owned the french blue probably not no it's probably all the drugs and alcohol and overindulgence wasn't it the whole family got away fairly lightly in the bad luck department with only vague things like a string of misfortunes to be found but no real info as to what these misfortunes were so that just sounds like people making it up it's like you know okay and then it gets repeated around the internet and then it's like becomes fact even though it's probably nothing and it's like everyone has a string of misfortune over really long times because life is long and many things happen let's hope it was just inconsequential stuff like henry philippe hope lost his keys stubbed his toe on something and then dropped his pipe in the toilet rather than horrible illnesses or financial difficulties the last member of the hopes who owned it lord francis hope had to sell it in the end to help pay off all his debts but again this was due to a lifetime of bad decisions not corresponding particularly with the ownership of the largest blue diamond the next notable owner was salim habib who lost a lot of money on it and then died when his ship sank only he didn't actually yes he lost a lot of money selling the diamond but it was a different salim habib who died on the wrecked french steamer not this one and this also happened months after he sold the diamond anyway so i don't even know if it counts as a curse had he been on the ship in the first place no it doesn't it definitely doesn't and it wasn't even him these fucking curses it, as soon as you start looking at it from the fact that curses aren't real everything falls apart and that's all that, that's the default position you could have because curses aren't real okay now on to the crazy mcleans my favorite characters in this saga me too katie i think it's worth saying here that we know there is no such thing as a cursed diamond or if there is it isn't this one however we also know that objects with a good history behind them sell for more money so it kind of makes sense that a canny jeweler looking to offload an expensive diamond to someone with huge amounts of money and an interest in bad luck tales might invent a backstory to increase the allure of said diamond i'm like the least superstitious person ever but if someone was like here is a diamond it could be cursed here is a diamond that is not cursed which one would you like i'll be like i'll take the non-cursed one just out of an abundance of caution in case i'm wrong about this whole cursed thing so are we saying that monsieur pierre cartier made up or at least hugely exaggerated the history of the fates of the diamond's previous owners in order to sell it to evelyn wash mclean well let's read an extract from her memoir father struck it rich after cartier had relayed the lurid details of the diamond to her bad luck objects i said to cartier for me are lucky ah oh, yes he said madam told me that before and i remembered oh i bet you did cartier i bet you did oh did you pierre you did indeed you crafty old fox exactly katie and i are on the same page here cartier's like i did remember did i guess what i've got the most unlucky and most expensive diamond ever my rich client he also kept the diamond covered up while spinning his yarns practically making the mcleans beg to see it it did take about two years for them to finally agree to buy it however we covered the true series of sad and bad events that the mcleans went through but they lived an absolutely insane life of wealth and were friends with presidents and other heads of state and threw money all up in the air like they just didn't care here's a quick anecdote as to how well connected they were an fbi agent had to take a woman to hospital after she'd been hit in the head by a bottle during a raunchy party in the love nest she later died from her injury the love nest was a building owned by ned mclean and rented out to attorney general harry doherty at the time 
The party that night was filled with women supplied by Ned. Who did the agent happen to see casually leaning against a fireplace as he carried the women out? Well, that would be President Warren G. Harding, who, yes, was actually the sitting president at the time. He was possibly avoiding eye contact and whistling tunelessly into the air with his hands in his pockets. Ned would also take trained bears into brothels, not always with fun, injury-free results. The couple were so well-known, they even managed a name-check in the song Anything Goes by Cole Porter. The verse goes, When Mrs. Ned McLean, God bless her, can get Russian Reds to yes her, then I suppose anything goes. This is in relation to McLean's going to Russia right after the October Revolution and trying to get Ned's uncle reinstated as Russian ambassador to the United States. This did not work and could have ended horribly for all concerned, but luckily it didn't. Yeah, that seems like a very reckless course of action. <laughs> There's a lot of people being killed. If a miniseries was ever made about this couple, it would be an entertaining watch, although it would be hard to believe any of it was real. It sounds like, you know, the prequel to The Great Gatsby, doesn't it? Again, as with everyone else, Evelyn and her husband's mad account of spending was in evidence years before the Hope Diamond was wafted under their noses. Sometimes Evelyn blamed her bad luck on having it, and sometimes she admitted it was a superstition she would dip in and out of. To quote her, Do I believe a lot of silly superstitions, legends of the diamond? I must confess, I know better, and yet knowing better, I believe. By that I mean I never let my friends or children touch it. Call it a foolish woman's fetish, if you like. After you have said so without contradiction, let me say that I have come to feel, not think, that I have developed a sort of immunity to its evil. What tragedies have befallen me might have occurred had I never seen or touched the diamond. I have sense enough to know that fortune tellers gain fame as prophets by habitually predicting probabilities. My observations have persuaded me that tragedies, for anyone who lives, are not escapable. Okay, so this woman, despite believing in like curses and stuff, doesn't really believe in curses. And she's exact. This is exactly what I've been saying, the whole thing. Um, where was that line? My observations have persuaded me that tragedies for anyone who lives are not escapable. It's like, yeah, life is long, bad things will happen to you. And now we come to the end of the line. The poor, unfortunate mail carrier being the last victim, as Harry Winston also seemed to do quite well out of exhibiting the Hope Diamond before bestowing it upon the Smithsonian. I saw numerous references to James Todd having his legs crushed in an accident shortly after delivering the diamond, but that's all the detail there is. He had already handed it over anyway, so could his bad luck really be due to the curse? If he had crashed while transporting it, there'd be a better case, but he didn't. So there isn't, and I don't even know if he was a real person or not. According to Ripley's.com, after the delivery, he claimed his wife died, his leg got crushed, his dog was strangled, and his house burned to, a burned to the ground. Wowzers. This is Ripley's of Ripley's Believe It or Not fame, so it's probably not the world's most reliable source. <laughs> yeah, it's not allegedly also if all of this happened in the space of a week that's some bad luck right there if it was over a decade or two i guess that's just the way life goes like <laughs> who strangled his dog that's fucking savage for my money it was actually pierre cartier who really raised the stakes on the whole curse thing because he wanted it to appeal to evelyn walsh mclean well it worked and the story is stuck. Anyway, the Hope Diamond is still sitting pretty in the National Museum of Natural History, which is administered by the Smithsonian Institute. Maybe its powers have been dulled by the many times it's been recut and reset, but we haven't heard a peep out of it for the last 65 years. And let's hope it stays that way. And it definitely will, because curses aren't real. Thank you so much for being here. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Smash that like button. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're uh, listening to this as a podcast, please leave a review. It helps us get to more listeners. And uh, I'll see you next time. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.